Tim, what's going on, man? Episode 14 is coming in hot. 13 was a hard one to follow, I think. Yes, I, it was, but I, I think I think we'll do okay. This episode, we're going to break down the first round of the NHL and the NBA playoffs because you, yes, the listeners, you have been providing us that feedback we've been asking for. And some of you have been saying, listen, you haven't been giving the NHL enough love. And I agree, we haven't, so you're going to get it today. Um, we want to talk about everything going on in the first round. Did the Celtics and the Bruins have what it takes to go the distance as we go into the second round? You know, spoiler, we think they do, but you'll have to mm-hmm. listen up. On this week's edition of What's in My Cup, it's a it's a twofer with IPAs this week. I'm so happy. It's an IPA from Westbrook, Maine, and an IPA from North Haven, Connecticut. Thanks to everyone who listens to Stats No Matter Podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, World Wide Web. And go ahead and follow us on all those social medias, okay? Follow us at Stats Podcast on Twitter and at Stats That Matter on Instagram. Now let's get into the show. All right, Sam, let's get into the fast break. The fast break of those sports stories that we think you need to know. Now, usually we give you like four or five, but we're going to go ahead and chop it down this week, go into a little bit more detail on a couple of them. Um, maybe you've heard, but the NFL had a COVID testing scare. And this isn't like a testing scare, like you go in and you get your blood drawn and then, and then the doc says, hey, you might want to come back in. We need to have another conversation. Uh, this is a huge shockwave of false positive tests that came back from one of the Jersey labs that the NFL uses. Now, at this point, the NFL has, has conducted 200,000 coronavirus tests. And then over this past weekend, just like a group of like 70 or 80 of them all came up positive. Um, per Lindsey Jones of The Athletic, the lab error was the first major glitch in the NFL's testing program. Um, and over almost a quarter of a million tests have been administered in the last four weeks. Um, it led to 11 teams having at least one initial presumed positive right and some of those teams include the bears the browns the jets the giants patriots steelers bills and the packers so they all had to scramble to adjust their practice schedules activate contract tracing initiatives to to determine just how many individuals may be impacted and then all the retests came back negative but you have to wonder how this is going to work once teams actually start traveling and what they're going to do when there are false positives or even positives and I got to think after what happened this past weekend, which they sort of honed down to uh, a lab error where they mixed one of the, I guess, like the test like chemicals um, under the hood in the laboratory. They, they did something wrong with that. Um, someone is going to get a stern talking to or someone's getting fired. 100%. Um... I think this kind of goes back to some of the other conversations we had previously where, you know, and I've had the same conversation on Facebook and, you know, every other cesspool of the world, but <laughs> testing obviously is a big problem across the board. There's no argument. You know, we had a bunch of false positives from Florida that came up in like the tens of thousands. <clears throat> I think kind of goes to show again, you have no idea what's going on when you're putting a lot of pressure on these facilities to keep a high standard of testing, you know, you got to ask how, how this is possible, how this could possibly go wrong. What chemical combination could give you a false positive for COVID if it's used for the testing process. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily as, as cut and dry as a lot of people are going to take this and say, COVID's not a big deal. I think if we're having false positives, I think we also need to question 
maybe the potential for false negatives. I think that needs to be something to consider how many, you know, this outbreak is continuing to spread rapidly. And the numbers are still going up. How many people are getting tested that are coming back saying that they don't have it when they, they may actually have it. But that's a separate conversation. I think the protocol is working, right? Where you are getting positive tests, it immediately goes into sort of lockdown mode to help the spread of it. And then you have a secondary test to sort of test the legitimacy of the previous ones. I think like all drug tests or any blood work that gets done on any athlete, it should be handled by multiple facilities. You test positive one place, there should be an immediate follow-up at another place just to rule out anything that's like this. Um, it is unfortunate there was a lot of wasted money that happened as a result of this. You have teams that had to adjust some of their travel, some of their practices, some of their facility management, all that sort of stuff, pay for cleaning and all of the things that kind of go along with the positive test. But I think everybody included would rather err on the side of caution and say, okay, look, this is a, a mess up in a facility that's handling a lot of tests in a short amount of time. Let's just take it from here and figure it out. Now, if this continues to be a trend, that's a different story. Now, it's not saying all the tests from all the facilities are coming back with potentials. It's It's been isolated to one location. You can change locations or you can force that location to update its protocols, but unfortunately these things happen all the time. They get a little bit more attention now just with the severity and with sort of everything that's going on around COVID and the return of sports and the microscope that it, you know, no pun intended, but the microscope that it lives under is yeah. <laughs> is uh is unlike anything we've had. But all I mean you get false positives all the time. I mean I've heard of people who obviously I'm not trying to correlate here but i've heard of people who've gone in and have tested positive for cancer and then got a second or third opinion and found out that that's not actually the case so is it unfortunate yes because of the waste of time and money sure i still agree with the protocol i still think what they're doing is is perfectly fine i think it's working the way it's intended you get a positive test okay it follows up with a positive test afterwards and you kind of take it from there um I'm okay with it, to be honest with you. I would rather have them have false positives and follow up than do no testing, which I've seen some people come out and say, okay, it's a sham. Let's just have a regular season. No, that's not that's not the approach. Maybe we find ways to improve the control of the tests or the controls of the material or find ways to do sort of reactive or proactive tests prior to them being administered to players just to kind of check everything out. But... Again, I'm sure this New Jersey facility wasn't only handling NHL, I mean, uh, sorry, NFL players. So they're working with a lot of things. Yeah. I, I, I'm all right I do that. think that uh, it, you did gain a lot of valuable insight from how that process would work, how you would do contact tracing uh, and, and how you would do it. I, I think it was a good test run um, in a weird way. Uh, but you have to wonder, like, let's say there's Monday Night Football game. And there's a positive or presumed positive test like that, that goes between both of those, those teams. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're going to have to get another round of tests and it, the, the, the team is traveling. They're not gonna be able to go anywhere. Right. You're gonna have to quarantine them in the city that they are currently in um, until all the tests come back positive or until they find out, Hey, you know, 
four or five players on the team are actually positive. So you guys need to go ahead and what fly on your own quarantine, you know, like in, in a, like in a city or state, like, what are you going to do if a, if a coach comes up positive, like all these things, we don't know if the NFL has answers. Obviously they think they do. And, and this was a, not a bad, not a bad show for that. But of course that goes to bring us into kind of the next point here. COVID has changed how we're going to view sports for this season irrevocably. It just is. So now there's been a lot of, you know, talk about what fans we're going to have in the stands at all this season. And there are three teams that are like, Nope, there are, there are going to be no fans at all. Right. Correct. Bears, Raiders, and the Washington football team. Uh, four teams that are going to have no fans until further notice. Um, so the bills for at least the first two home games, Eagles, Giants, Jets, Chargers, and the Rams. No fans for the first home game at all. Broncos and Bengals, which kind of sucks the Broncos because they're on that, you know, that Monday night doubleheader uh, to start the season off. Mm-hmm. And then no fans through September. Nine teams, Falcons, Lions, Packers, Patriots, Saints, Seahawks, Texans, Titans, and Vikings. So, again, you got to kind of take it with, you know, a, a grain of salt, I guess, if you could. I mean, there are some teams that – We'll say, look, we're we're willing to have reduced fans in the stands, but we don't want to say how many fans are in the stands. Bengals, the Cowboys, the Steelers. Uh, I know the Cowboys owner came out and he said that he was in favor of potting people, like you know, like mm-hmm. putting people in, in small groups. I mean, a hundred thousand people can fit in Jerry World. So, if there was a, a stadium, I believe that football could be played in front of fans. I mean, the not fresh air thing <laughs> doesn't really you know, feel too good to me, but you know, I sort of understand it. Uh, the Ravens are going to have 10 to 20% capacity chiefs, Colts, dolphins, and Jaguars are going to have up to a quarter of their capacity. And then seven yeah. teams that haven't said anything yet. The Browns, Buccaneers, Cardinals, 49ers, and the Panthers. I mean, I, I definitely think there are ways to make it work if you decide you want to have fans, but at the end of the day, like, what? What's the what's the cost benefit ratio there, right? Every person that comes into your stadium is a potential risk that could give it to a stadium worker that could give it to, you know, security guard that could then give it to a ball boy that then could give it to a coach who gives it to a team. You know, like those those sort of things are like I, we've gotten so far away from when this thing started till now as we forget how quickly it can spread so while it is terrible to not have any fans as a player you know rooting for you we see (laughs) we're gonna get to earl thomas a little later but you know he's out celebrating with the stands during preseason games and training camp so obviously stand stands and fans in them influence and play a major role for a lot of different players but at the end of the day it's okay do you want to play football or do you want people there to cheer you on because that doesn't necessarily it's not the same conversation right is it nice to have people there to root you on 100 percent? but you are risking the ability to play the following weekend game or the weekend after that if someone in those stands somehow compromises somebody who's part of the team the next thing you know, you're in trouble. Now, I think some of the alternatives, if you want super limited seating, maybe you pick 
the top three rows and you stagger those seats and the bottom two rows and you, or three rows and you stagger those seats because as much as you want to stagger seats and space everybody out how is everybody getting in and out of that stadium or go going to the, the facilities they're going to go through the concourse yeah they're going to go through the concourse they're going to go through anybody who's ever been to a professional sports arena knows what those ticket lines are like and you get kind of crammed through and you can only control up until your gate what happens all the way before that and i get it we can say masks 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 but if we've learned anything there are some areas in this country who don't put as much stock or as much value in masks the same way the rest of the world does Texas being one of those. Texas is one of those states that's are, uh, that the Cowboys is one of those franchises that's considering having players in. You are uh, fans in. You are currently a hotspot. A large portion of your population seems to think that this is either a hoax or not as big of a deal. So, do you really expect them to come in and follow all the protocols that you're going to lay out and expect nothing to come of it? Probably not. And then. Take all your vendors who are in-house who are going to have to work and deal with a lot of these people. What do you think happens to them as they start to spread around? Because as much as they're going to try, you're in front of you know a few thousand people every weekend. That risk is, is pretty high. So it's unfortunate. Uh, I wish they would just take the same approach and say, let's, I mean, it's the NFL just sort of charging ahead like they have been all preseason where no matter what's happening in any other leagues across any other sports it just isn't it doesn't seem as if they're taking it as serious and like they're under the impression that they're going to be impacted whatsoever for them it's it is what it is we'll be fine it's it's not going to be fine there's going to be blowback yeah. and it's going to be a problem and it's going yep. to get worse come winter because everyone's going to be locked inside so mm -hmm. yeah that's for my, sure that's, that's that's my two cents on the matter yeah, we, we won't we won't go into that any further. I think that um, obviously, you know, the NFL probably is a little bit better at making these plans than we are. But uh, it's definitely something from a fan perspective that's going to change the way, you know, maybe you didn't buy a Sunday ticket this year. Maybe you didn't buy a sports package, you know, last year, but you're going to this year because you, you definitely want to catch all the games. I, I would I would suffice to say that all of the primetime games, you know, your 425 games on Sunday, your eight o'clock games on uh, Thursday, Monday, and Sunday night, we're going to see those ratings go through the roof. And we've we've benefited, I think, as fans from the last couple of years of scheduling. We've gotten really good games uh, in those primetime slates, but I think this year it's going to be going to be a yes. lot more. But while we're talking if, about cameras, if, real quick, football, if I was the if if I was the NFL, because well, I just thought of this, if I was the NFL, I would take every one of those flex schedules and I would revamp the entire season as it went on to continue to make primetime games, actual primetime games. Like how many Monday night football games we have between two teams that just were terrible? And how many Sunday night games did we have that just were, you know, snooze fests because there were two teams with losing records? I would say to every team in the league, look, we're trying to do something here. Give us flexibility of your schedule. Let us move you around at will and let's take it from there. And I would push as many late night games that are of any sort of substance as I possibly could and just shift everyone around. Yeah. Capitalize on, on the viewership, why everybody's at home. That's what you should be doing. Yeah, they should. And, you know, I mean, 
I understand you can't put, you know, thousands of fans digitally in the stands without making it look weird. But I think the NBA and the bubble is doing at least to a semi good, you know, attempt. Maybe, maybe we can look at that. But if we're talking about football and we're talking about cameras, we can't talk about hard knocks. We can't forget to talk about it. It's, it's one of those shows. I don't know if you've watched it, Tim. Uh, it's HBO's look at like training camps. And they usually pick this team that's sort of like kind of up and coming or like maybe they're having some, somewhat of a down year or an up year. And you get this real behind the scenes look at everything that is like going on. Um, and if my life could be narrated by anyone, it'd probably be Morgan Freeman first, but live Lee Schreiber would be second. I mean, it is so hard not to even, not to even like a rival football team like the Rams when he is narrating uh, the Rams and the Chargers, they're the, the double team this year on hard knocks and, and their stadium is the background for what's going to be an unconventional season. They're probably not going to have fans in it at all. Um, but the NFL is really wanting these LA football teams and, and they're going to get them. So this is the only content that you're seeing that shows behind the curtain for all these players. And I got to tell you, it's really good. I, I'm not, I'm a Seahawks fan and I don't really like seeing the Rams <laughs> on TV, but I can appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, there are a few teams that I would try to follow and, I know there are always in discussions with who the following teams are going to be in the coming years, but I think they kind of struck gold a little bit. I mean, you've seen the Rams on the uprise for the last few years, but if you could pick, you know, five teams that have great storylines going into the season, the Rams is definitely in the top two, three, maybe you can make an argument for Tampa Bay, but you didn't know that was going to happen until after that had already been announced, or yeah. at least those agreements had already been reached. The The Chiefs would always be, you know, at the top of that list. Although I kind of wonder for entertainment value, if you're looking at it more for the educational side to see what it looks like behind a good team, or if you want the drama, which is why you go with the Browns, the Raiders, and, and, and teams like that. Um, but I think the Rams was definitely a good pick. Chargers and you know their sort of transition with their QB right now I think makes for some interesting dialogue um but I think you know the Rams obviously offer a little bit more value the Chargers you know I think they're maybe not an underrated team but they're definitely someone who's been in the conversation a little bit more recently um yeah you know Rivers I mean, is no longer there so that's that's a little different but still yeah they, they've been part of the conversation and then have two teams from the same areas. I think, I think it's a good move. Um, I think the Rams deserve their own, you know, spotlight. If you no, they don't. No, they don't. As an <laughs> NFC West fan, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they got one of the best, if not the best defensive player in the entire league right now. They're mm -hmm. coming off of some unexpected success in the last few years. Granted, they kind of stumbled a little bit towards the end of last season, obviously going to the playoffs, but yeah, I mean, it, when you think about it, the past few seasons have been so good, they went nine and seven and then, Oh, they lost in the Super Bowl. Where they scored three points. Yeah. I, I can totally see it, Tim. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I, I don't know why yeah. they didn't, they didn't lead that show by themselves. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they made it to the Super Bowl more than a lot of other teams. Okay, yep. And, and we remember, uh, you picked the Rams to win the West this year. So we'll, we'll see what happens about that. I, I hear okay. what you're saying. I Thus far, I really appreciate the fact that Anthony Lynn's leadership style is showing out. He starts mm -hmm. the series by telling his players he had coronavirus. 
So he's saying like, this is why you need to take it seriously. And some of the players are like, Oh, my coach had coronavirus. Like, okay, I, I really need to take this seriously. And McVeigh, we get it. He's got the whiz memory, right? He's going to be on the path to do whatever he wants, whether it's commentating, whether it's like coaching, you know, but his, his rah, rah coaching attitude at this point, I'm just like kind of over it. And I think that's one thing that hard knocks is like really showing there's just so much rah, rah that's going on. And it, maybe it works. Obviously it works to them. Yeah. I just can't figure the Rams out schematically. They're, they're able to put up a lot of points on teams and defend really yeah. well, but there's so many unknowns facing this team. Like, this is a team two years removed from not scoring a single offensive touchdown in the Super Bowl. They did pay, you know what I mean? Like a lot mm-hmm. of players, they, they bring in some new defensive uh, studs and you had the whole yeah. divorce with Todd Gurley. Like it's just been crazy to see like what they've kind of gone through. And in this whole hard knocks thing, you see they're having all of their practices and their meetings like outside underneath the tent with a whole bunch of fans. And that looks like it sucks. Yeah. And I, I would say as far as not scoring any touchdowns in the Super Bowl, I would forgive that more than letting up a bunch of touchdowns given the fact that you are a defensive juggernaut going into the the postseason. Um I don't know. I mean it's 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 tough because you have the uplifting and everybody's doing great and let's all cheer along in the Rams, but it's because, you know, I'm very much used to the opposite side of that, where it's like, you know, no player is bigger than the sum of its parts. And if we're not doing well, we're all not doing well because we're going to work on it until we are doing well. I think Pete Carroll, you know, falls somewhere in the middle. You know, he's a very up up guy, but when things aren't going well, he's very sort of even-keeled, right? He's yeah. not down. And that's not to say Belichick. And, you know, this is obviously... There's no comparison between McVeigh and, and, and Belichick. I'm just drawing the only comparisons that we know. But um, it's not to say Belichick loses his mind or goes crazy when they're down. He just holds people accountable. So it's a very different vibe where I think on some teams like the Rams, we're just constantly building people up. You know, someone messes up. It's very much like, oh, it's, it's great. We'll get him next time. Or oh, let's work on this where other teams might be like, We've identified a weak spot. Let's continue to practice this until it's 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 improved. So they're just they're just different approaches. Um, can't argue with success. You can make some points about stumbling when it matters, uh, which could be a byproduct to some of that. Everyone's doing great all the time philosophy. Yeah. But uh, it's it's else? that Lego song, right? Everything is awesome. Everything's yeah. cool when you're part of the team. Yeah. <laughs> until I also wonder not. how much. <laughs> whenever I see those style documentaries, I also wonder how much of that is. Because the players like, obviously won't come out to and the do camera, it. right? Yeah, how much of it is yeah. like, look at me, I'm a great coach. Look how much I'm bringing, I'm building up my players. Let's hope other players want to come to our team because it's it's so positive. So you kind of wonder if it's like that all the time. You know, I've never heard anything on the contrary to any of those. But yeah, so I will tell you, um, was it uh, last season? Was the Oakland Raiders before they went to uh, Las Vegas and? Yeah. That my wife loved that season. Like John Gruden next to a camera, just getting in players' faces. I'm, I was all about it. It was a great season. It really was. There was a lot of good comeback stories. Um, and the season prior to that was the Browns. So to counterpoint where you said, like, are people hyping up for the camera? If you get a chance, and because there's no preseason games, everyone should that's listening to this when you finish listening to both episode 13 and 14, 
and all the other episodes you haven't listened to of the Stats Podcast, you need to go and you need to binge watch. If you have HBO Max, um, Hard Knocks, and then you also need to, to binge watch All or Nothing, which we'll get to in a, in a minute here. But uh, when you watch seasons of Hard Knocks, there's teams you can tell really get energized by it and teams that just couldn't give a rat's ass. And when you watch the season about the Browns, you see a team that's shearing apart in front of you. And the players, if they know it, they're not letting it on. And the coaches are definitely not doing a thing about it. There's one scene that I keep coming back to in the Browns hard knock season where Todd Haley and Greg Williams are yelling at each other. And of course, the editing is really flashy. So it looks like not only yelling at each other in practice, which they were, but they were also doing it in the meetings. And then Hugh Jackson is just sort of there. And maybe this is his coach's style. I don't know. I got two people that are supposed to be the, the two a and the two B on my team and they can't get along. I don't, I'm not going to calmly say, Hey guys, remember I'm the coach here. I make the decisions. I'd be like, nip it in the butt. We'll talk about this later. When there's, when there's maybe when there's not a camera by. So there's so much like weird inconsistencies that happened during the Brown season. And it's not surprising that they went the way that they did just because when you go back and watch may, and maybe again, it's the editing, but you watch that season um, and you love the players that were in Cleveland, but you're just like, they're going nowhere with this coaching staff. It's not happening. It, it just ain't. There, there's just no way. And sometimes you won't get that look behind the curtain until you bring in the lights and the flash of HBO. So you got to watch the seasons. They are very, very good. And yep. yeah, you know, the season is a little weird. So you get the two for one. But um, again, you know, football in Los Angeles for a long time was a big thing. Then it kind of wasn't. Now it is again. And you got to capitalize that while the iron's hot. One of the, the biggest things, if I'm going to talk kind of down about the Rams, I would talk up about the Chargers. Uh, head coach Anthony Lynn, who's a two-time Super Bowl champion, running back coach, assistant head coach in places. Now he's a coach of the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, that guy speaks with so much poise in when he corrects players for making mistakes. that you get, you get this awesome feeling that they just don't want to let him down. And it's no wonder when you take a look back as a running back that he was and, and a running back's coach that – Everywhere he goes, running backs just flourish, like Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon, right? So, spoiler alert, you might want to draft that guy in fantasy. Uh, I just feel like with everything we have going on right now, you need to take that time on your Tuesday night to sort of just kind of pop out, see something new. Um, but if you have Amazon Prime, you can just binge all or nothing. There's like five or six seasons. You can watch the Cardinals, the – Panthers, which was really good to see how like it really went down in Carolina. Uh, the Eagles, when Carson Wentz was you know injured and they lost in the playoffs, like that was oh, there's just so much good content out there, and we don't have preseason games. So do yourself a favor, go watch old football <laughs> with Lee Shriver and other great voices that you don't you're not going to recognize until you Google them. You're oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, you want to do that. Yep. Tim, if we started talking about football in the beginning and we were happy and we started talking about hard knocks and we were still pretty good, we're now at the point of the fast break where we're going to talk about football in the other side, which is not so good. Mm -hmm. um, Earl Thomas III is no longer a Baltimore Raven. No, no, he's not. Uh, he has had a pretty interesting timeline over the last – uh, two year and a half, yeah. I'd say. All started in Seattle with a middle finger, in which he then later came out and said uh, he regretted nothing, especially doing that to Pete Carroll. 
and then his girlfriend got arrested for pointing a gun at him he had the whole back and forth between almost signing with kansas city and just the day that they were going to charter a jet for him the ravens swooped in and offered him a deal that at the time was higher than any quarterback had ever received that four years 55 million dollars with 30 32 million dollars of that guaranteed and he hit training camp and then that started that roller coaster ride where first he wasn't doing a great job of adapting to the scheme and saying he wasn't having fun but it would pay off in the long run to the first training camp game that they had where he picked off lamar jackson and thought it'd be a good idea to run over to the stands and celebrate like i mean Come on. And then it just sort of spiraled out of control from there. And I think a, t- a team is going to pick him up. Uh, I'm hoping this becomes one of those sort of eye-opening type scenarios where he just learns to stop running his mouth as much because he's he isn't the type of player that backs it up on a consistent basis. Uh, he trashed the team that played Derrick Henry and gave up all those yards and then immediately coughed up 195 yards in a game in which he caught two stiff arms to the face and Henry followed up with, you know, good to see you. Um, he picked off Tom Brady to win, to end their undefeated season. And when asked about it, Oh, it's not my first time. And then he didn't have another pick for the rest of the season. So he likes it on his mouth. He likes to put himself in situations where, call into question his character and instead of finding ways to improve his image or to show that you know he's there for the right reasons he just continues to make it worse and make it worse and make it worse and then it ends with him raising fists and almost getting in a fight with a teammate in an already questionable sort of shortened season where Everyone's already sort of emotionally heightened, wondering whether or not they're going to play, the risks of playing, and it just... Man, it's not a good look for him. Um, I don't know where he lands or what becomes of him. You and I both have our uh, best guess as to what might happen, given the history of some teams... Uh, normally I would be on the side, I would be on the side of saying no, but given what the defense looks like for a certain New England team, uh, (laughs) wouldn't that happen? (laughs) I would be like for pennies and a dollar too. I I bet it would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now, so you you don't have a safety, right? Chung opted out for the season for, you know, COVID-19. So yeah, we're missing high towers. So there's some pretty big gaps in our defense mm-hmm. whether to say that earl thomas is still the kind of caliber player who's going to fill it i don't think he's the same type of player as he was in seattle uh like i said he likes to run run his mouth he does great you know some of the time and he makes some pretty big plays but i don't know if it's enough to justify bringing in that level of uh questionable characteristics i mean not to badmouth Cam Newton. We all know his history. We all know what his general reputation might be in teams, whether or not he's a cancer or he brings down teams in general. That's 
yet to be decided. He was with Carolina for a long time. But if you're a team that's sort of in an awkward spot where a lot of your defense has opted out, including your some of your big high-profile players, you already have a player on your team who runs the risk of being some type of distraction or at least bringing some sort of drama to the table. Do you really want to follow that up with someone who's had a really rough year and a half? Yes. Yes, you do. And here's why, right? Okay. Everyone talked about that stuff about Cam, and then Belichick came out and said that, that Newton has actually surprised him with all the extra work he's been putting in to learn the offense and everything that goes. I don't know how many times we've heard this thing. Oh, they're, they're a bad player or they might not have the character or anything. And then they go to a, a team with a great coach and they get, they get turned around. I think if you, I mean, you asked the question, where's Earl Thomas going to be in a few years? Well, he's definitely going to be in the Seahawks ring of honor. That's for sure. Is he a first ballot hall of famer? I think so. Cause I think that he is one of the defining safeties of this era, but homerism aside right there All are the players yeah there, there there are players that when they when they play for a certain coach or they play for a certain team you just you you manage to get 105 percent out of them for whatever reason right. and for me i kind of knew not after the super bowl loss to the patriots not after the divisional loss the year later against the panthers not after the divisional loss the year after that when earl thomas and bobby wagner we're going at each other on Twitter. That's 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 the moment for me where it clicked. I was like, okay, this idea I had about the Seahawks like sticking together and making it through and being toughened by everything they've gone through. There's a huge crack in that facade, and this whole house is about to come down. And I don't know for whatever reason when Earl went to the Ravens, that got accelerated. Um, but he, he had it. He had a good year. Now he's an enigma. Like we talked about college sports. Like everyone in the Pac-12 is is different in the way that they you know, approach college sports and everyone on the left coast, West coast, best coast is, is different, right? There are coaches over there that will let players talk to them in certain ways. Obviously that doesn't work for every team. It's not gonna work for a Havar led team. And, and it didn't work here. I, I feel for Earl because I think the, the, the channeling of that energy could have been better harnessed by the coaches. But of course, if you're, if you've been in the league, anything more than two or three seasons, you're kind of expected to do that on your own. Uh, I don't want him to go to San Francisco, which he's been rumored to go to. I'm cool with him going to Dallas because he's from Texas, and that would be fine. And you know what? I will even say this. If he goes to New England, I, I, at this point, I'm cool with it. It's fine. It's completely fine because Belichick could do something with a player like that. And if you say Earl Thomas isn't a player he used to be, Earl Thomas has broken his leg twice, and he's still faster than a lot of safeties out there in the league this time of day. Thank you, sir, for coming to my TED Talk. Fair enough. I'll give it to you there. Um, yeah, you know what? I'll give it to you there. I think if um, I think if New England picked him up, obviously we I'm on record on this podcast saying we would have success if we threw a ball boy in. Um, and I think he would get something out of him. I think you're right. I'm also not completely sold on Cam Newton having no problems let's come out and see what happens when the team faces a little adversity and in a record isn't amazing because Do you know you who's taken the majority of the, the practice stats for the last few days mm. not been your boy jared i'm just going to let you know that right yeah. now yeah. so uh the presumed week one starter is going to be cameron jarrell newton learn yep. it yep so if you have a guy like that who tends to get really down when they're not doing well 
get two guys on there. I mean, this guy punched a, a, a teammate in the face because he blew his own coverage and the player he was supposed to be covering caught his own, or caught a pass and, and ran it for a touchdown. This is in a preseason practice. This isn't even in a regular game. Let's see what happens when you're out in a real game that matters, even if this season does get an asterisk. It shouldn't, full season, whatever. Um, but let's see what happens when then you have two guys on the team who seem to be unable to deal with, you know, some negative attention. And then and then we'll talk. Um, I would be shocked if he went out, if he went anywhere else other than New England. I expect New England to come out and throw a decent chunk of change at him for like a one-year deal. Uh, well, no, whoever, whoever ends up getting him because he was released, but I think he's still contractually owed like a, a bit of money. I mean, the Ravens paid him $22 million for one season. So sure. someone, someone's going to have to rework that contract. Um, I think he probably would take uh, less money, but I mean, if you're Earl, right? You said yes verbally to the Chiefs, and then they were sending a jet to you, and you said, eh, I'm going to Baltimore instead. I mean, good for you. You want to be on that team. I think Earl, like like the Kermit the Frog meme, might be like putting his arm up against the window when it's raining, looking outside, and just sort of realizing that, there's a ton of talent still on the Ravens team. And there's a, it doesn't matter if it's the offensive or defensive side of the ball. And he still could have been a, a cog in that wheel. And if they win the Super Bowl this year, much like the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year, you'd have to wonder if you would look at a defensive backfield that had the Honey Badger and Earl Thomas, they're winning the Super Bowl. Right. The, the, you, you would love the embarrassment of riches there. It would be the same thing if you had it on the Ravens side. Um, obviously, they would make, he would make any team he goes to better just because there's not a really like big depth pool of, of but do we but do we know his contract structure i mean if 32 of that was guaranteed did he already get paid that money out or was it a guaranteed per season and he may have is, i mean and i'm sure i'm sure if he was released like they terminated his contract there was either stipulation in that contract that says if you're released you, you don't get paid x amount of money or if they just chalked up their losses and said the hell it is take the money and you're gone i don't know if necessarily a team that signs him is on the hook for whatever that money is i don't think i don't think his contract would be structured that way so i wouldn't be shocked given that kansas city was going to give him a one-year contract before this happened i wouldn't be shocked if another team comes in and says hey let's give you uh, one-year contract and we'll tie in there like a, a re-up for year two if you meet xyz just to see because it's obviously it's a risk if you do if that is how the contract was written and he did make all that money and then got canned after one year who wants to be the team that takes that same risk right like yeah i mean i hear it but cam newton's playing for one million dollars with incentives you know what i mean if yeah. if the if the New england patriots are going to offer earl thomas a contract it's for the vet minimum because they're definitely not paying him more than that. You know what I mean? So, yeah. who knows? Um, obviously, who knows? Who knows? hashtag football, it's coming back. This is good stories. Uh, I, I know we, we necessarily don't see this the same way. Um, Earl has done a lot for the city of Seattle and the University of Texas. And, and I do feel that um, this is probably one of those cautionary tales in football that, like, once you come up to the, to the, the tip top of the peak and you come down on the other side, if you're not sure about your footing – things can get out of control real quick. Uh, we know Belichick is ruthless with cutting players, you know, a year before, uh, you know, they want their money or whatever, because he, he sees them in a different way. And when the Seahawks Legion of Boom split up, 
Everyone was dragging Pete Carroll through the mud. This was he, He's the worst coach ever. It looks like, in retrospect, the only thing he whiffed on was not paying Sherman more money. Mm-hmm. Sherman, one of the best corners, if not the best corner in the game. You can say whatever you want about what happened in the Super Bowl last year, but like the guy can't win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl by himself. He came back from an Achilles tear, and he was still out there at an all-pro level. It's like you just you have to give a guy respect like that. And if the Seahawks had paid a little more money, maybe the band could have stayed together a little bit longer. But you have to wonder how that locker room was going to progress. And um, you looked at a lot of the career injured, like ending injuries that the people like uh, Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill suffered. You know, like that just altered the team's dynamic in a way that I don't think the the casual fan understood. Seattle fans knew because they're involved with everything the team does, and they were not happy to see Earl play for another team, and they weren't happy to see the Seahawks lose to the Ravens, um, you know, last year at home and, but not, it wasn't close either. Um, there was a lot of folks who like myself made bets with people, shout out to Scott, um, that the Ravens were not going to win that game. There was not gonna be a snowball chance in hell. And then, you know, in the rain, they got thumped on their home turf. So mm-hmm. it's been a long, long, hard to characterize road for the Seahawks and, and definitely Earl Thomas. And I, I just wish him the best going forward. I hope he finds a team. I hope he, he gets his footing back. And I hope that he gets to ride off into the sunset on his own accord. And he gets to kind of choose that story because right now it's just look at all your off the field issues. And it's like, yes, he's had some, but there's a lot of people in the league who've had them. All right, moving on enough with the NFL. Let's talk to a, let's talk to a sport that's actually in the postseason right now. That's the NBA. Uh, the Celtics, they finally, finally beat the 76ers in the postseason. They swept them. Get out the brooms, boys. Here we go. And damn it, that feels good to say. Because they're always c- c- continually losing to this team in the East. And after LeBron left the East, I said, you know what? It's, it's time for the Celtics to shine. Yeah, the 76ers always played spoiler. I don't understand why. I don't understand how. But they did. But they got it done this time. They swept him. Even after they ask a 76 player, oh, are you guys worried about the sweep? And Embiid was like, no, we're not worried about the sweep. And then they got swept. Like, that, that is just next level. Where was this Celtics team all year? We needed it. We definitely need it now. Uh, they, they face the Raptors in the second round of the playoffs. Starts Thursday, probably by the time you hear this. Um, of the four times they previously faced the Raptors this season, they've won three. Now, the Raptors don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore. That doesn't mean they're not a good team, right? They are, they are the number two seed. So like, you do have to give them uh, their due. And I think even with some injuries, we're, we're, in for a good, we're in for a good series. I think when you take a look at the fact that Gordon Hayward is likely out for a month with a high ankle sprain, uh, but Kemba, Tatum, Brown, everyone else is turning it up. I mean, to be able to pour on the points when you need it and to eke out some 110-106 games as well – is really good going forward. I mean, I see the series with Toronto going five or six at least. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. As far as the 76ers go, I mean, I'll take any series win that we could get, but I think it's a little telling that Brown was out almost immediately after they got swept. He has, he's in like the top three far as winning percent our worst winning percentages in the first three years of his career so whether or not that's a you know 
did we look at this as sort of like an easy win? I know they've always, you know, been competitive come playoff season, but I mean, the record wasn't great over the last few years. Yep. The winning percentage was, was garbage. So, well, it wasn't a bye week, and Embiid is a phenomenal player who carried them to a lot of opportunities to win, whether they capitalized them or not. Uh, I'm not... This isn't... I'm not the most confident with this win. I know Gordon went down with a high angle sprain, which is obviously a concern given what already happened to him once. Um, did this boost my confidence? Not, not necessarily. I, did they look better than they did before? But this is kind of like the Red Sox hitting their stride against the Orioles, right? Like that's a team you should have been able to beat. Yeah, should have I been see. able to beat them, you know, soundly, which the Celtics did for a couple of those games. So will I take the series win and we'll move it on to the next round? Of course, gives us a little bit of momentum, but is that necessarily a team I would put as sort of the benchmark? No, that was sort of like Yeah. Let they us take this opportunity. Yeah, let us let us get our, our footing, let us sort of build some momentum and sort of work some things out and really hit our stride as things really start to peak. So still going into this, this next round, I have some concerns. Uh, I think they're definitely playing well. Um, Tatum. I like this team when there are guys who aren't marquee players on the team. Now, Brown and Tatum have yeah. become... I mean, they're going to be marquee players in the future, for sure. Yeah, and I would go so far as to say that they are now. But yeah, I would agree. But given that they're sort of developmental guys, if you will, where they had success when they weren't marquee players and coming into the season, you had some questions. Everyone made the joke about the haircut versus non-haircut and what that meant. Um, but I think this team's a little bit scrappier where you don't have the really high-profile guys like Gordon on the court. Um, you know, Kemba obviously is a, a major factor in all this, and he's a marquee player. But I think a lot of their success is coming from guys who are, you know, they're they're on the marquee now, but that's not why they were a part of this team. And I think they're they're a scrappy team, and I tend to I tend to be a little bit more confident in those teams. Like when Irving went down a couple of years ago, suddenly we sort of hit our stride and and found ways to win. The year before we brought in, you know, Gordon and those guys, we had a team that was relatively not unknown, but they weren't, you know, players you were talking about every day when you were talking about recaps of the, you know, the NBA, just sort of surprise, right? The postseason and the Celtics are running away with it. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I think those teams were definitely backed up by, uh, the Morrises, the Crowders, you know, the the Baines uh, of the season, which were, were the hot NBA names to talk about because they wanted to talk about, you know, the Celtics outside of Kyrie. But what you see now is you see a retool team. And you can't call it a consolation prize win. They've lost the 76ers many, many times. And yet this season, for whatever reason, they were just able to just push on through it. You got to think that that psychological win for them to be able to sweep an opponent like that. Yep. It's gotta be good for it's gotta be good for the team. The fifth seeded Heat completed their sweep as well against the Pacers. Uh they move on to face the winner of the Magic Buck series. I think we all know how that was gonna go. But uh Thunder Rockets, somehow this series is tied at two two. Like is this 
how not to load management. Like, like I don't understand how this is happening. Like you have a team that literally every media agency was the Clippers, the Clippers, the Clippers. And then they lose some very easy games for no reason. And then with the Thunder, you just continue to find yourself in a scenario where you have an unbelievable amount of talent and you can't win when it counts. Like this game, this series could go six or seven games. And I don't think outside of their diehard fans, most people are going to pay attention. You're going to say, Oh yeah, well it's hard. It's this team. I mean, it's that team. Like they, they just don't care. A mixed bag of high profile talent that always wants the ball. Uh, and a guy who may or may not pad his own stats during the season. Um, that's because stats don't matter. That's what you're going to get. Unfortunately, I, I think I meant to say but, Rockets there. I said Clippers because I, I had Kawhi in the mind. You, you Clippers. I meant Rockets. I was, was yeah. going to give you that pass. I didn't want to correct you on Whew. on there, but uh, the fans wouldn't, so we can't. <laughs> um, now, nah, I mean, I think that might go down as you know. They, now nah, they've had a lot of success. As I say, the most underachieving team with that much talent. I mean, Westbrook is just a a force uh, all the time, but sometimes his uh, motivation gets called into question. I mean, he's always a good player, but whether or not he's being motivated by personal stats or team victories is always something that tends to come up. Um, I mean, technically we're in the postseason, right? So all of these series should be close. And if they're not close, then it's clearly a poor seating in a, in a, uh, a poor reflection on the rest of the league. So I, I never look down on tied series as they go in. I, I, I say that about the 76ers and the Celtics just because of the 76ers record overall. Uh, it should have been an easy win. I mean, we tend to, no matter how good or bad they're playing, they're sort of the same equivalent as what the Dolphins are to the Patriots, where no matter how good the Patriots are one season and how bad the Dolphins are, we always tend to either squeak by or lose games to the Dolphins that we shouldn't lose. I think the 76ers are kind of in this same boat where do they string together a bunch of wins? Yeah, but that's usually riding on the back of like two players, um, but they do find ways to beat the Celtics. But on paper and... Looking at the two teams stacked up, there should be no reason the Celtics shouldn't have just steamrolled them. Uh, I do think Rockets Thunder is a little bit closer of a matchup, so I'm all right with 2 2. Um, I mean, I think we all know the Los Angeles Yankees, I mean, Lakers are going to take this out because. <laughs> well, know, no, 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 we didn't know that, Tim. Remember, they lost game one, and everyone was like, oh my God, this is the year LeBron doesn't have it. And, and a friend of mine listens to the podcast, Nick, he. You know, he brought it up to me, and I was like, relax. He's a big Lakers fan. I'm like, relax. They're going to be fine. And then he was like, you know, thinking, hey, maybe maybe the NBA really wants to fix these games. So the Trailblazers, I'm like, I'm, the, I'm saying the Trailblazers to win the championship? I don't, I don't think this is going to happen, man. I was like, relax. You, you Wait, missed. That, he wants the Trailblazers to win because of everything that no, was no, going no, on. No, 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 no. He was sort of like, hey, like the way that they played in game one. Like if you were to say with your conspiracy theory hat on, like they played so bad. Because they, they were abysmal from the three that night. Like, if they had made some more threes, like this this series would already be over. They would have won. But why would the, what? I guess my question to him is like, what's the benefit of that fix? Like, yeah, I don't know. know I know that when the high profile teams aren't in the last few games, viewership drops. So if anything, which is that, probably that his tinfoil, point. the tinfoil hat should have been the other direction, where like 
the Lakers are going to be in this because right now the NBA is trying to drive as much viewership as possible. But yeah, we all know I mean, that all-star team that everyone puts together, which this is a conversation for another time where LeBron being on teams stacked with talent outside of maybe Cleveland, which you could make some arguments that, you know, they had a lot of talent there. Uh, is he the player that we think he is? Or are some of these teams that have, like, Joel Embiid, who, who, who tends to find success as a solo player, or Luka, like, those guys who, while they have decent supporting cast, don't have, like, five marquee players on their roster every team they go to like you had the big three in miami where they guaranteed mm-hmm. seven victories because you had three perennial all-stars that were on that team and then everywhere he goes he brings in massive amounts of talents and obviously i get it you want to try and win as much as possible but i can't help but think that there's maybe something legacy wise that we're not talking about here yeah i mean, I mean there definitely may be yeah, there definitely may be, and and I I can't speak for Nick, but I know him being a being a big Lakers fan that, uh, and he and he's a very very ardent supporter of the podcast. Shout out to Nick, uh, that you know when he was like, hey, the Blazers, I was like, guy, they just had an off night, like it's gonna be okay. And then the Lakers kind of came back, they won the next night, and I, and I you know we were chatting over Facebook Messenger or whatever, and I was like, oh, did you see it? They won. Like this this is just natural. This is what happens when you have LeBron on your team. You have some games you should win, but you don't. And then all of a sudden, he just roars back to life. And then Kirchin said it on the last podcast, you know, as well. He even when he has a bad night, he's still the focal yeah. point. So he's still going to drive. And and you do bring up a good point. The Lakers in the battle for Los Angeles, they have the talent. There's no denying that. Um, the coaching staff is definitely probably at a place now where they're more gelled than ever. And theoretically, you could say this is the Lakers' season to lose. They, I mean, they have they have some of the best players they have of, of all the teams that you look at. Teams that have one or two good players. Mm-hmm. They have a guy who's like 50% of LeBron. They don't have LeBron. So until it says until at such time as LeBron, you know, leaves the Lakers or leaves the game, uh, you always have to sort of kind of give them one up. So it's it's sort of like the Tom Brady effect. Oh, Brady had a bad game. This is it. This is over for him. Oh, LeBron had a bad night. This is it. He's so old. There's no way he can win these games. And then they respond by winning three in a row. Like, okay. <laughs> Moving on. Bucks magic. Uh, the Bucks lead three to one. They play another game, I think, tonight. Tonight's Tuesday. That that game's probably going to go the way we think it is. Uh, the Bucks really have been one of those teams that kind of surged late. We, we know that they have the talent and the ability to go far with Giannis. So if you're in the East, you really got to be paying attention, man, because you're going to run into that buzzsaw at some point and you need to be able to go five games in that series. If you got to give one up, you, you give one up. If you go to six or seven games, I just feel like the bucks are a team that can wear you down. And I don't think that's a, a scenario that you want to be in a few of the Celtics. Agreed. Um, I think of all the teams that are left, Bucks Lakers are probably the biggest threat across the entire board. So, I, I would I wouldn't mind seeing seeing that as, as a final. I really wouldn't. I think no, that'd be I, I think that would be great. I agree. I obviously if the Celtics don't make it, the yeah yeah 
I mean, I, I'm a I'm a casual fan. I tend to sit and watch the finals no matter who's in it. Um, I can miss an entire Celtics season and be somewhat okay with it, but I still find a way to sit down and watch the NBA finals when they're on because I think that level of basketball is exciting. Uh, and I think if I'm not watching the Celtics play, which obviously that's what you want, I I don't think the Celtics could hold up against the Lakers. I don't think most teams could hold up against the Lakers. I don't think the Bucks could really hold up against the Lakers, but I do think that might make for a more interesting conversation because you have right now the best of the Bucks against the best of the Lakers where you have sort of a banged up, you know, with Gordon being out uh, against the Celt- uh, in, in the Celtics. Um, but... I mean, I, I think that would be a great series, Bucks Celtics, just to kind of see. And that was one over the last two years that's been a fun series to watch when I did catch them, both in regular season and postseason. Um, but yeah, I would say that's the biggest threat currently left on the board for the for the Celtics. Um, if they lost to the Bucks, I wouldn't be heartbroken. I mean, it's a team they the Bucks is a team that deserves to go up i mean they're just rolling teams so yeah yeah i agree i, I, I wouldn't be heartbroken um uh, jazz nuggets series three to two nuggets one tonight 117 107 so that's that's an interesting series for sure um and then mavs clippers series just like the like the rockets thunder tied two two uh there's been a lot made about load management on this podcast on every sports media you know, platform whatsoever. Um, and it's a halftime right now. And the Clippers have 76 and the Mavs have 52. So Luca, he's got the viral moment. But right now, they, they don't seem to have the momentum in this game in a series that's tied 2-2. So who knows what, what that means necessarily. There's been a lot of talk about, and again, I, I mentioned earlier, the battle for Los Angeles. Uh, when you take a look at both the Lakers and the Clippers, they're not even they're, they're not similar. <laughs> I don't understand why people are wondering, you know, if if you had to put the two of them together, like who would be the best in the city? Like, it's not close right now no. for me. It's, it just it's, isn't. You, it's you have a Yankees team that, Mets. yeah, it's not, you, even, you, not in the same ballpark. <laughs> you you have a team that is like willing to say most of our players are are not going to play. We're just going to sit them out. We're gonna we're gonna keep them healthy. Which okay, cool. If that's what you want to do, but like you haven't shown any. <laughs> any benefits from that and even if you yeah. win the series it's not going to be anything less than a battle of attrition because it's not a full season so and it's it's bizarre to me that like load management and balance is even a thing right now you literally have played a few weeks of basketball right now after coming off of months of no basketball you should really be ready if you were ever going to be in a in a prime position to play your sport as a professional it should be right now. You should have come out hungry. You should have been in shape this whole season. You should have been working through Zoom conversations with your trainers to be ready to go. And if you're not, uh, that is your own fault and you have nobody to blame but yourself. But any kind of load management right now and you're giving up games willingly, this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And there's a lot of off the field, uh, sorry, off the court stuff that has been bubbling about the Clippers. And I, I don't think we've heard a lot about it because I believe the entire sports world is waiting for them to go out. And then you're going to see a ton of stories come out about how they weren't prepared, fights in the bubble, if there were any, you know, stuff like that. And 
that just kind of eats away at the soul of a team, like especially like a team like the Clippers, who you're facing one of the biggest market teams in the entire league in your back door. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to be able to go out there and perform at a level that gets you the attention, but also that kind of attracts the talent. And I mean, what happens in a couple of years, if, if you don't make the best of what you've got right now, then you're going to have even more internal strife and turnover. And then the, their, the battle for Los Angeles is just a footnote. It, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think, I don't think it exists at this point anyway, but it's a fun conversation to have. The media believes it exists. So therefore, <laughs> like Descartes says, we believe it exists. Yeah. All right. That's the NBA. Obviously, we want to see Celtics Lakers. Whether or not that's going to happen, more to follow. I think more realistically, it's probably going to be Lakers Bucks, which I would be here for. That would be a nice number two. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a season NBA that deserves finals. an asterisk anyway. So it doesn't count. Oh, for my goodness. It, it, if LeBron wins his championship, I don't want to hear nothing about an asterisk. That is going to be a fourth shift for him. I don't want to hear none of it. Nope. Not here for it. It's the season in which you played a bunch of games and had a bunch of time off and you came back. Did you go to the postseason? Did you play in the NBA Finals? Did you hoist the NBA Finals trophy? Yes, you probably did. This is nothing but a glorified tournament. Is what this literally, it's literally all it is. It's like a, you know who doesn't believe that? Digital fans in the stands. They don't believe that at all. They're staying for games longer now. Anyway. Shout, shout, shout out uh, to Stugatz, who looked so uncomfortable and awkward and every time he showed up on there. <laughs> we, but shout we out got, to Pablo Torres for trying to make that work. <laughs> we have got to figure out how we can get on those. Yeah. We I really don't do. have enough. I don't have enough clout anywhere yet. But, uh, hey, if anybody's listening to this and you have some pull. Yeah. I mean, I'll, take, I'll take a Red Sox cardboard cutout. <laughs> That'll be fine, too. Did you see the um, – speaking of, of cutouts, you see that there was a stuffed bear – that caught a foul ball in the head. Uh, and there was a, there was an MLB team that that produced an update and they said he left a concussion protocol and, and he's good. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be rejoining the fans in the stands. Like they really sold it. And I was like, wow, guys, we're doing this. Okay. All right. Like hey, this it. is where we are in the, in the age of Corona. Yeah. It's fine. Like I've seen a couple highlights on uh, the MLB feed, the ESPN feed, like various teams that cover baseball that show like cardboard fans getting smashed in the face and, you know, little quips like, uh, got to keep your glove up and <laughs> don't take your eye off the ball, things like that. So yes, there are some, some small blessings coming out of these weird situations, but, uh, yeah, for sure. Let's get, let's get ourselves in there. Yes. We got to move on to the NHL. The Pat. NHL's here, everybody. I heard you. It's been here. We have just not been keeping up our end of the bargain. And as a hockey fan myself, I apologize from the bottom of my heart to all of yeah. you. Shout out, shout out to Pat. Pat's a, Pat's a Raiders Bruins fan. And he, and he commented on one of the, uh, one of the posts and he was like, you're not talking NHL. And I'm like, Nope, we didn't this time. But now I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like NHL has been kind of going in the background and, the, and we, I didn't really want to jinx the Bruins. So I didn't really say yeah. anything at the time. Um, but no, and we're going to talk fantasy, about it now. Once my fantasy season was, was, cut short and we all kind of hung it up but it just it, it unfortunately took back burner from like social conversation i will tell you that i've watched almost every game since the start of the uh since the restart of the season so we just haven't talked about it so this is our pledge more hockey and more golf because i've actually had quite a few folks who reached out and said hey you guys are gonna start talking about golf and we meant to we really honestly meant to uh off of you know, two weeks ago, but uh, we just 
it ran long ran out of time didn't think about it till right after but hockey baby yeah. i'm here for it well, don't worry we have more cowa bell coming down the pipe for you you see what i did there <laughs> calling more cow yes that's right golf jokes uh okay nhl the bruins lost their first three seeding games and yeah. that's obviously because they think stats don't matter right that, that has didn't to look good nope it really good. didn't we kind of ballyhooed them uh tuka Ras decided to opt out of the bubble and the hubbub was wondering if this was it for him uh the bruins won their first series game against the hurricane they won a two ot thriller later on thanks to patrice bergeron they dropped game two three to two and then rattled off three straight wins pouring on four straight goals in the third period of game four and now they're facing those damn tampa bay lightning and the series is tied as of tuesday when we're recording this one one they lost tonight yep. in ot and overtime like the first game of the second round was eventful because the Bruins went up three to zero before allowing two unanswered goals right there at the end. I don't know if that was just taking your foot off the gas. Um, I, was I wrong about the perceived lack of effort early on for the, for the bees in the bubble? I mean, I, I think I was obviously yep. you're taking a look at sports in a bubble. Anyways, it's not going to be the same thing that you, that you're used to. So I understand a lot of people are giving Rask a lot of, a lot of shit. Oh, you're like walking away from the team. But he sort of said, like, look, it's very hard for me physically and mentally to get into the game because it just feels like a glorified scrimmage. And, and there is yep. some truth to that. Obviously, the season is completely different. But for a guy like Rask, who's given Boston everything, nobody needs to be taking him to the woodshed right now. Or you can try, but I'm sure if you try and take him to the woodshed, Zidane Ochara is going to take you behind the woodshed and we might not talk to you ever <laughs> again. So, you know, do, do what you will with that. But... The Bruins uh, right now, they're they're in this weird like weird space. We talked about it before. We said, look, they got the depth, but you wanted to see some hustle. This is the yeah. time you want to see some hustle. Tampa Bay is one of those teams that, again, you might think you're on paper way better than them, but they can counterpunch. Yeah. And and the way they counterpunched tonight by winning in overtime was like you didn't want to see that whatsoever. You didn't want to see yeah. him score two goals in, in the third with less than two minutes to go because – that that team had all the momentum at that point, and you absolutely don't want that. Yeah, and it, the goal they gave up wasn't even the, the Bruins just couldn't get out of the zone. Uh, it was a soft little sort of wraparound attempt that got kicked out. So I mean, some of that was you know poor luck, poor puck management in overtime. Um, did kind of take a lucky bounce out to. Uh, a lightning player who's literally just standing there waiting for the shot. Uh, but I will say this team looks drastically different than they did at the beginning of the restart. You kind of, we, we, we panicked a little bit. We talked a little bit about, you know, how they dropped the home advantage and the, you know, they had the number one seed. You just had to win a few games and they failed to do that. And now they look like a totally different team. You had the rumors where Bergeron at one point was sitting out of practice for his line, but that line once again is stepping up and making some, uh, pretty phenomenal runs, uh, and they, they're starting to put it together. They still look a little sloppy. There's, uh, you know, you can pick a period out of any game and show that they're just not 100% there, but they are improving steadily. Uh, I think after the last series, and they came out and sort of dominated, especially the tail end of that series, and now uh, they're off to a great start. I mean, you thought they sort of recaptured momentum going into overtime by scoring with, you know, just a few minutes left. 
and they didn't look terrible in overtime. Uh, we were recording while we were watching this game, but I was keeping an eye on it in the background, and you know, you are getting constantly pulled into it because they're they are playing very very well. I think the goalie changeover was probably for the better. Uh, Halak currently has uh, a better record than Rask did. Rask is one of those guys. It's it's frustrating for me because I I tend to defend him, and I, I'm starting to think I defend him a little too often. And shout out to to Garrett Gagnon and, and Ryan Edwards for being the two guys I always go back and forth with because he is an all star caliber goaltender. Historically, he has done great things during the regular season. The problem with Rask is he tends to give up goals in situations where you just can't give up goals, and they always tend to look like somewhat soft goals. I mean, you had a couple of years where he won, you know, all the awards for the entire season, best goalie, finished with the best save percentage, the best goals against average, all that sort of stuff. But most games, he tends to cough up at least one soft goal that ends up coming back and butting you at some point. You don't quite see the same thing with Halak in the net. Um, it's a very different look and feel when you have a little bit more faith in your goaltender. Not to say that they didn't, but the fact that that change happened, your, your previous goalie came out and said it didn't feel like hockey. Um, I think it speaks a lot for, you know... You're right. He did give up a lot for Boston. He he has done a lot for the team. But everyone right now is struggling. Everyone right now is sacrificing. And everyone has the same goal in mind. When the chink in that armor is your goaltender who's like, eh, it doesn't feel like real hockey. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to go stay with my family. That's nice. But there's still an entire team that's out there on the ice still trying to compete and do the same thing. And when you are the primary cog in that, like, teams are based around their goalie and the ability of their goalie, right? That's like building block number one, let's get a good goalie. Then let's fill the defense and let's get goaltender, you guys can get out and, and score goals. So when your starting goalie is like, meh, I'm not here for this. This doesn't feel like hockey enough. You're getting paid the same amount of money. There's just as much riding on it. There's a trophy at the end of it. These stats do go towards your career, and people are going to remember that when everybody else was lining up and trying to do their best to salvage a season and win a, a Stanley Cup, you opted out. And I, the thoughts on his family and the sentiment there is nice. I'm not buying it. He was just not interested in playing. He was not interested in the game. And I don't think he was doing all that well. Like his save percentage was down this year over what it has been over the last several years. So there was something that was a little bit of a miss. Um, is this a little bit of a cop-out so you don't have to continue on and getting all the blame for any of these losses? Because I know there was some back and forth with who was going to be starting and who wasn't. Um, I I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not buying that this is for my family and I want to be closer. I think he was just not interested. He was struggling a little bit and he had an out fortunate timing because Marshan, Pasternak, Bergeron, all those guys have really strung together some fantastic uh, games over the last yeah, seven Yeah, definitely games. turned it on. Yeah, so 
if if you exited the season and you're now sitting on your couch watching your team do well, it's going to be really hard to look back and say, oh, shit, was I the reason we were we were losing these games where now I'm out of the picture and we're having success? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Halak has a 4-1 record, which is, I'm fairly certain, the same 4-1 record that uh, Rask had at his exit, so... I mean, maybe that, that just goes to speak to what the team's able to do with the talent they have. One thing you've noticed in this series, and the Bruins have been very explicit about this, they're going to have to out-physical the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're going to have to hit more. And if and if you pay attention to any of the stats, which none of them matter, um, if you pay attention to any of them whatsoever, Boston is trying to be more physical and, and attack as, as quick as they possibly can. Now, they have the depth to do that, right? And for guys like Patrice, Bergeron, Pasternak, it's, it's working well for them. Halak's going to give up some goals, right? He, I mean, he's he started five games, right? Like, you're trying to fill Rask's skates. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, but if I'm the Bruins right now, we've had a shortened season. We know that we're going to have to play some long series to get to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. I, at this point, realize I have the depth, and I'm going to start sending out just waves. Just just trying to keep the pressure up as much as I possibly can. Tampa Bay is not a team that you want to go to seven with. They're just not. Uh, just sort of like the Blues were last year. Um, when Boston gets dragged to game six or seven, unless it's a team they know they can beat, they have struggled historically. And I just I don't want to see a team go best of seven every single time <laughs> before they get to the conference, you know, finals and then um, and then and then the game you know, to, to win the cup. I, I just don't want to see that. I think that, that that doesn't do your depth any good now. So you might as well just go ahead and just say, let's fire on all cylinders and let's, let's just keep this thing going. Halak is going to give up some goals, but the games that he doesn't, like you're going to lose tonight, 4-3 in OT. Like if you have the ability to win a game 5-3, go win the game 5-3. When you scored three goals in the third period of game one, you should have kept attacking. You should have put a fourth goal on there. So when they score two goals, you're not really worried mentally in the back of your head. Oh, they're close. Like it was when you were three, two with a minute to go in the game, you know, and, and then they're just rushing the net. You, you don't want to be in those types of scenarios. You can, you can win those types of scenarios when you know you have the depth and you know, it's a, it's an inferior team at this point, you're not going to run into a whole bunch of inferior teams. You're going to buzz saws at some point and you have a couple bad nights and all of a sudden it's game seven, your legs aren't with you and then you lose and you're out. So that, that wouldn't be beneficial. Islanders beat the caps in the, in the first round. Capitals responded by firing their coach. So uh, obviously things in the district are not going as good as they could be right now for the Capitals. Uh, the Islanders are currently, you know, one game up on the Flyers. Uh, their first game, they won four to zip. I don't really think that uh, the Flyers necessarily aren't coming to play this year. I just think, like you brought up earlier, there are some teams that necessarily kind of got there with the expanded playoffs, and it's going to show, in, at least yeah. in the first and the second round. You might have survived the first, you know, five or six seeding games, and in, in, you found a way to get in, but – when you go to play with the big kids, that's where you really get exposed. Um, the Caps, I think everyone thought, you know, hey, they were 
you know, Stanley Cup champions from a couple of years ago. They still have a lot of depth. For whatever reason, they just could never get going to build enough momentum to really kind of be serious enough to make a run this year. Obviously, I mean, you go out in the first round. It's just that, that that's just the way it is. I mean, when your star player is approximately eighty years old, hmm. what do you what do you expect? I mean, don't, <laughs> don't give don't don't, don't be talking about uh, Chara in a loving light and not have a little bit of appreciation. Oh, no, no, we, we didn't even we like we haven't even talked about Chara. I think I think he deserves to stay on the team as long as he wants because what he's done for the team, but. Well, age, sort of I like Yarmir Yager when he was playing for the Bees. Like, you know what I mean? Everyone was yeah. like, ah, you started playing in, in the 40s. What's up? Why are you still playing, you know, hockey? I think I think Chara's success is just his, his size and the fact that he's a defensive player. Um, so he only has to be on, you know, be involved in at least half the game when we're talking defensive side. And, and you know, he slides in and takes that corner spot when they're on the offense. Um, I also think he's sort of up there in age enough where you got to kind of start considering weak points in the defense and like Krug is making up for a ton. We had Hamilton who ultimately we let go, who's turned out to be, you know, a pretty great player in his own right. Um, I, I think the difference if I'm comparing the two, Zobechkin is not a defensive player. He's one of their offensive stars. Uh, and, I don't think there's been enough moves that have been made in the last few years to really balance out that team. And you're putting a lot of weight on one guy who's, you know, rightfully so showing his age. If you, if you see him without his helmet on, he, he looks like the guy playing in your beer league. Uh, so, you know, it's tough to see that happen. You never want to see a coach fired. No, especially, you definitely, especially you definitely during, don't. during a, a, a playoff series. But, uh, I know. mean, that's just the way she goes sometimes, right? Like it, 2020, yeah, if, if you're not really preparing yourself to come up, like, for example, the, the Bruins had the number one seed coming in, right? Then they kind of floated. Now they're trying to play playoff hockey. The Flyers are the number one seed right now, and they're already down a game to the Islanders, and they got smacked yeah. in that first game. Like, they yeah. didn't – you know what I mean? So, like, good. You, you put up a lot of panache, and you got there, but you have to kind of keep it going. And hockey, I don't really believe, is like one of those any given kind of day. Like, there's so much strategy that goes into it, and – so much effort that's needed to be exerted, especially over a best of five or a best of seven series that you just don't want to be getting into a scenario where you're getting outskated every single night and you're barely keeping up. And I think if there's anything, all the teams this year, their conditioning is not where it needs to be. So right. theoretically, everyone should be in the same playing level. I, I, I think, I, th I mean, I'll disagree a little bit. I do think it can be in any given day type game i mean they play so frequently you know every few days where <clears throat> some someone can come out with you know a little bit better legs than the guys they're going up against maybe one line uh slept better than i, I, I don't know there's there's lots yeah, of things for be. me that, that go into it maybe a goalie's seeing the puck a little bit better that day but what i i think is different is i think that's not uh I don't think that necessarily translates as a as a reason to have positive outlook on a series, right? Like, sure, anybody can win one game any night, but in order to have sustained success over the duration of a series, 
you have to come in and whether or not it's i, I don't even know if it's necessarily strategy it's got to be the execution right like even your strategy can go to complete shit but if you're out there you're skating hard you're back checking as often as you can you're really keeping the pressure on it's gonna make a lot of difference so what we saw in game one was uh a lot of sort of scrappy play around the puck it wasn't just let's shoot see where the rebound is and get a guy over there it was let's take a shot and two guys were following the puck to try and come up with second chance opportunities and you were seeing a lot of pressure right in front of uh right in front of the goal to get that puck moved around and you could feel when a goal was going to happen like you knew it was coming the pressure was there enough the puck movement was was good enough their power play was firing on all cylinders and they missed they missed a lot of opportunities but they gave themselves a lot of chances and i think in order to succeed over the course of a, of a series you, you have to keep that up and it has to be more than just one line like a lot of weight gets put on that front line but you have uh David Krejci, who's been just on a tear for the last seven games where he's got at least a point in every game. Um, it's it's one of those sports where it's not like basketball where you can just rely on one star player as we see with the, the Capitals. You need a team and you need that line to be going all the time you and the, your two line mates need to be in sync and firing on all cylinders. And if at any point there's a weak point, it needs to be changed out. I think yeah. in this case, Rask was potentially that weak point. I think the change, if nothing else, may have motivated everybody. So I'm hoping they found the motivation tonight, even though it was a loss. They came back and they tied it up right before the end of the game. So the fight was still there. They did. It, it was a, a, a pretty soft goal with an unfortunate rebound. To, to lose in overtime uh, but I do think the Bruins will be fine but some of these other teams I, I you know I'm a sucker for the story around the, around the Golden Knights where they came out and you know yeah. had success right in their first season so that's another team I sort of backburn and root for uh, the Islanders I don't have a lot of faith in just historically I know they're up in the, that series right now, the the Flyers is always a team you hear about every single season. They're a perennial contender. So they're one that's always going to be part of the conversation. It'd be cool to see the Islanders, Islanders come in. But Lightning, early on, was one of those teams I said I was a little, I was a little concerned with. Um, but not, not enough. I think we'll be fine. I think this will be a little bit of an eye-opener. You know, keep pressure on, keep it on early, put bodies on bodies and and keep up with the back check and constantly put pressure on the puck so yeah not worried yet as far as the rest of the league goes uh you know the golden knights i think will be the canucks i think that's not a that's not I mean, an the, issue the knights put up five goals in game yeah. one three of them in the second period yep. uh you, you just have to you, you got to give credit to a team that wants to come out like that now, i think obviously the darling of the postseason right now it's got to be the stars right they they're up 2-0 on the avalanche right now they were down two goals in, in game two yep. and then they poured on not one not two not three not four five five goals <laughs> they didn't let a single other one go in and so they, they got the 2-0 series uh lead right now if we're just going to look at this from a holistic perspective the teams we would love to see make it sort of in the end Obviously, I'm going to say Bruins, even though we sort of like, you know, poo-pooed their effort in the beginning. Um, 
I wouldn't mind seeing the stars kind of get there. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily mind seeing the Vegas Golden Knights go back again. Uh, as the fact that because they were, they were built from other teams in the league, yeah. you'd have to think their, you know, aggregate age is young enough to, to ensure that they, they can go on another run. So yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, I, Definitely don't want to see the Flyers go, and I don't want the, those damn Tampa Bay Lightning to go either. I hope that <laughs> the Bruins pull it together and we kick them right out. But obviously, sorry, Cody. Sorry, Cody. Yeah, it it is, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, it's time for that beautiful segment where we tell you about the things that we are consuming that consist of water, hops, malted barley, and yeast. It is what's in my cup. Hopefully not rice for the rest of uh, you guys that might be listening to this. Well, checking, I mean, well, you know. Japanese rice lagers are pretty good though if you've had them. So, so but the Bud Light, the, the Bud Light, yeah, the Bud, the Bud rice lagers, they're they're not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So back sort of before we get into a craft beer, when I first really started, like I always had a taste for beers that were different than what everybody else was drinking, and. One of my go-tos early on was the Michelob Amberbach. And it mm. was one of the first beers that actually put on the side of the bottle that it was made with like, was it like malted rice or something like that? It actually put on there that the dark, uh, that like amber visual of the beer was because of this like roasted or whatever the, the, production process was with the rice actually brought it down but i drank the shit out of that beer it like disappeared i couldn't find it for a long time uh, still to this day I, I you know one i would grab if if i saw it you know at a maybe maybe an open bar at a wedding or something <laughs> i'm not at a store but at an open <laughs> yeah. yes. if, I, if i'm buying something of that caliber uh, it's going to be a high life uh, 100% of the time. Anybody who knows, oh, okay. me knows that that's the case. Uh, who doesn't like a good champagne? Uh, yeah, it's one of those beers. Champagne like, of beers. Yeah, it's one of those beers that ice cold is delicious. If it warms up a little bit, mowing the lawn, yeah, long it's okay. games. If you pour totally some orange fine. juice in it, it's actually really good. Shout out to uh, the Gip, to Grant Street Mimosa. That's, that's what it is. You, you are giving me the look right now of that guy in the GIF who's like, really? No, I'm here for this. Toss a little bit of OJ and the next time you have a Miller High Life. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. There's a pool hall when I lived in Boston. There was a pool hall near my work where we would go to after work sometimes. And if you asked them for uh, champagne, they would bring you a 40 of High Life and two champagne glasses. It was amazing. <laughs> That's what we got to do. They actually, um, I think it was Thanksgiving this last year, they actually put a limited run of Miller High Life bottles in champagne style bottles i saw those i saw those and then you have the little you have the little grenades now actually yeah, yeah. Be, because unfortunately i think high life is slowly replacing paps blue ribbon as the sort of hipster beer of choice for the last mm -hmm. like four or five years what you're seeing is a lot of these sort of not dive bars or i know hipster bars has a negative connotation but that sort of bar that we'll call them artsy musician focused millennial bars <laughs> uh all of them offer or not all of them a lot of them offer these crazy drink specials where it's like a beer and a shot together and almost every single one of them has high life 
and some shot to go along with it. Almost every single one of them. In fact, the bar right across from this, it was a pool hall that, that served the, the champagne. Um, but the bar right across the street had one. And if you were to highlight, if you got like a Jaeger or some, some, some Irish whiskey shot to go along with it. That wasn't Jameson. It was something else, but Ugh. I'm here. I'm here for all that. I don't take shots anymore because I'm an old man and a dad and I'll just die the next day. But in my <laughs> heyday, those are my jam. Yes, indeed. Anyway, Sam, enough about that. What are you? Anyway, Sam, enough about our past, our debauchery, and our nonsense in our heyday. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking Close Up Magic by Mass Landing Brewing out of mm. Westbrook, Maine. Okay. Uh, it's a double dry hop. That's local, to you. That's local to you, right? Uh, no, it's certainly <laughs> not. But it's an all mosaic double dry hop uh, IPA. Some some funny stories about uh, Mass Landing. I mean, my dad lived in Westbrook. You know, spent a little bit of time there growing up. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's and there's a lot of like good stuff like in the downtown area. And then Mass Landing just kind of like blew up. I knew a guy who was a brewer there. He's now over at Definitive. But he and I, true story, we used to um, load planes at the Portland International Jetport. We were both worked for uh, Delta Airlines. So I I always try and grab mass landing whenever I see it, especially down here in Virginia. True story. uh, Day after the wedding, when Chelsea and I got married, September 27th, we were driving. Real quick. Do you know that's the day before my birthday? It's the day before your birthday. Oh my God. What do you turn like 50 tomorrow? 128. Wait, (laughs) hold on. So like in 45 minutes? Wait, wait. No, my birthday is the day. You said you got married September 27th? Yeah, yeah. My birthday is September 28th. Ah, oh, okay. I thought I thought you meant today. I was like, whoa. No, everyone, gonna... at home, everyone at home followed along with that. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, Anyway, carry on. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> um, September 27th, <laughs> 2017. Great day. One of the greatest days of my life. Um, anyways, so we, I had gone to the beer cellar in Portland. Shout out to the beer cellar <laughs> right out there on, uh, I think it's Forest Ave. Uh, you, you got to go get beer from there. And I, I got uh Sakurapa from mass landing and I was intending to drink them on the bus surreptitiously on the way to Boston. But the guy came on board and he was like, Hey, if I see anyone like eating or drinking, like I'll ask you to leave the bus and I'm going on my honeymoon. So I'm not going to, you know, go ahead and crack a, a road soda. So what I did was I put the mass landing beer in my check luggage. Okay. I flew that baby all the way to Santorini, Greece, and I had it as one of my first beers in nice. the Greek countryside, and it was amazing. So long story short, 
I feel like I have a six degrees of Kevin Bacon connection to some people in Mass Landing. They have no idea who I am, and they won't know even after this podcast, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, love them. This is a fantastic IPA, I've been told, and I'm going to crack this sucker and get going. That was a good crack. Big, f- big fan of Mass Landing. In fact, uh, we get it here in Connecticut also. Um, every time I go up there, it's on my my stopping list for places to swing by uh most people know gunner's daughter which is their peanut butter stout which is amazing but it they is. do make some they make some really really good beers uh so if you ever see them snatch them up where you can um are people gonna know you bought a house by the time this airs uh yes maybe i was gonna say a quick congratulations i'll wait till next week or another time even if this posts on like saturday or sunday yeah no because i I don't know when we're gonna when we're gonna take the photo and post it you know what i mean got it all right all right well i am enjoying an american solera which is uh brewed out of north haven connecticut through the same 12 percent beer project that distributed the beer I had last week, which some folks chimed in and said, hey, <laughs> that beer, Hoofhearted, is not from there. It's from Ohio, in which I had to respond with, no. 12% Beer Project here in New Haven does a lot of work. Uh, I don't think American Solera is actually from Connecticut. It's just distributed uh, through the 12% Beer Project, and it's brewed here, so trying to keep it local good enough for me but it's terpy secret it's a vic secret uh double ipa comes in at a whopping eight percent but it is phenomenal uh i spoiler alert, had a little bit of this uh, a little earlier today uh just to you know the can art is fantastic so it's really difficult to wait and i was grilling outside so yeah good stuff american solera is uh headquartered out of tulsa oklahoma hmm yeah, they make yeah. a lot of really good beers too though so i i knew it was uh a little bit out in the southwest um i'm sure where but they had a bunch of sours there as well it, it, it came as a recommendation so as much as i want to try and get to breweries close by which now that things are started loosening up a little bit i will we got a couple of decent ones pretty close by that do some pretty good stuff um I go in the pack store. I know those guys, unfortunately, a little too well. So I go off of yeah, the pack. Their, their recommendation. If you're not from Connecticut, package stores are what we call uh, like beer and liquor stores, packies. Um, but Connecticut is one of the most underrated states when it comes to breweries. There are just a, a phenomenal amount of great beers around here. Anybody who sort of sets up destinations to go to has to add fox farm brewing to their bucket list uh they make some of the best beers i've ever had they make a beer called burst that is without a doubt my number one if no matter when the conversation is you ask me what my favorite beer overall it's gonna be burst it's a regular ipa uh it's Everything there is done, not necessarily small batch, but a smaller batch than most places. It's all super farm to fresh. It's great. But uh, American Solera, nice little mouthfeel, good little opaque amber color. 
Mm. Uh, if you're a Vic secret hop fan, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those hops that's like kind of roared uh, out of the out of the darkness here in the past few years, and it's getting a lot of hype. Sort of in the same way that like uh, Nelson Savon is, you know, like uh, yeah. if you want a wine drinker to drink a beer find a beer with Nelson Savin in it and, and, or Savon, however you want to pronounce it. I'm not French. I'm French Canadian. And we don't, don't <laughs> we don't really talk, you know, a lot of, a lot of that language anymore, but yeah, I say all like, that to it... say this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nelson Savin is one of those hops that can really sort of win over people who maybe think that beer is too bitter. Um, and you know, you brought up earlier that there's a, a ton of great breweries in Connecticut. I think isn't evil twin uh in connecticut yeah or yep. grim you know there's just a lot of well, grim Grim's a nomad brewery but they're based out of new york and i think they actually just built their first tap room they make some phenomenal beers if yeah, you they can do. ever get your hands on them I, I just wanted to give you a chance to stand for angry chair in case you know it's been a couple podcasts since since you talked about them so you know a- angry chair baby you gotta <laughs> i still that's a, that's a sword i will die on best him best stouts ever Tim, we have now pushed episode 13 and 14 of the Stats No Matter podcast out here. We are almost able, as a podcast, to apply for a learner's permit and drive, which is pretty scary because we just started this a few months ago. Yep. In a couple more months, Stats podcast is going to be old enough to vote and then drink legally. And hopefully within like another 40 podcasts, we can get our AARP card. You'll need it because you'll be way closer than I would be.